You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NFL. This is Thursday, so that means we're going to get into a couple of Strange topics about how teams build themselves into the rosters that can compete. We're going to have a great show for you. We're going to touch on some of the mythical May power rankings, which are an interesting beast all themselves. We'll go over what's going on in Jacksonville, and we're going to start with something very new to the league. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. It's going to be interesting. I'm here with the man on the ground about the Bengals. This is Jake Lisko. I'm Ryan Tracy, the founder of Rogue Analytics. There's a lot going on, and the league is changing. They made an announcement today down in, in Tampa Bay that they're expanding what they've already done under Bruce Arians, and that is become not just diverse in terms of ethnicity, but in gender as well. There's a big announcement down there, isn't there, Jake? Yeah, they're doing the Buccaneers Women's Summit for Careers in Football. The first of its kind program run by an NFL team. They're collaborating with media members around the league. A lot of the Buccaneers staff is getting involved, and this is going to be a long-term event where they're going to have single-day seminar-type sessions over the course of the next almost year. This goes into early 2022. And, of course, the Buccaneers, as you mentioned, have a couple female coaches on the coaching staff, an assistant defensive line coach, Lori Locust, she's involved with their first session that was with Chris Collinsworth, Bruce Arians as well. And Amaro Jaradifar, an assistant strength and conditioning coach, will be involved in one of the later sessions next year. I think this is just a really cool initiative. I wanted to take an opportunity to spotlight it because when I told you about this, Ryan, when we were planning our show today, you mentioned we haven't seen this picked up a whole lot by the national media and and maybe it's out there since you know you or I have looked for it but mostly this seems to be being covered by the Tampa specific folks and I think this is something worthy of national attention. I agree with you. I think this is a big step forward and I think it's been proven to be in Tampa Bay. Something about Bruce Arians, it's not just the fact that he's got an ethnically diverse staff. He's got a huge staff. It's and that's impressive. The more people that you can get Working towards a common goal, I think the more powerful that you can become. And certainly by including women coaches, that is part of that concept. And I think kudos to him, as well as the whole Bucks organization. But taking it this step forward and fostering other opportunities for female coaches in this league, I think goes a long way in terms of providing long-term stability and diversity for the league in future generations as well. And what's great about this is you look at the participants. These are people already actively working in football. 43 women pursuing careers in the NFL will be involved. They're working in the collegiate ranks right now. They're either coaches or they're working in personnel jobs or football operations jobs. So there's something for everyone here. It's not even just coaching. For example, July 28th, Jason Light, Jackie Davidson, another one of the women working in Tampa Bay, and Mike Greenberg will lead a seminar called how to build a championship roster a little bit later on. They've got, as I mentioned earlier, Marl Javadifar, one of their panelists for the How to Train NFL Athletes for Peak Performance next March. 
So they've got five different panels already announced in addition to the one that they've already done with Collinsworth, Todd Bowles, Bruce Arians, and Lori Locust. You can actually go watch that right now on the Buccaneers website. So that's a pretty cool introduction to the program. But there's a lot going on here to get women elevated that are already involved with the sport in the collegiate ranks and getting more people who are passionate about football and qualified to work in football getting them ready to go work in the NFL can only elevate the league, right? Adding talent to the pool. I mean, you're missing 50% of the population. Whether it has been historically a lack of interest or a lack of opportunity, you're missing a big portion of potential talent that could help to drive this league forward. And these sorts of initiatives, expanding that talent base, can only mean good things for the NFL's future. Yeah, I like that, especially because generationally, when we see more interest at this level now, at the assistant coach level, like quality control coach level, obviously careers move forward. And if there's more interest now at the college coaching level, it all boils up. And eventually you will find that women will succeed and continue moving forward and be assistant head coaches and eventually head coaches. And then we're going to talk about when the league has to expand the Rooney rule to to include gender diversity as well. And that's, I think that all is upward mobility for what the football world is as a whole rather than what it has been traditionally. Yeah. And I think it expands to media roles as well, right? Because Mm -hmm. you see it in women who work covering the NFL. You see it in women who work for NFL teams as part of their social teams, as part of their communications teams, or as part of their analytics teams, that there's a clear growing role here and very talented people continue to find their ways into NFL organizations doing what they're passionate about. And when people get to work on things they're passionate about, everybody wins. Good things happen. Speaking of good things happening, Ryan Jacksonville looking for some good things to happen around their rookie first overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. Is Urban Meyer doing the right thing down in Jacksonville? as we get into the off-season programs. That's coming up next. The chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics versus us do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably low. rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing their prices based on whims like the airlines do. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require a membership or an account login. rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend twice the money for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com now to see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Ryan, let's talk a little bit about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously, they got the prize of the NFL draft in Trevor Lawrence, who was anointed as a future first overall pick, really from when we first saw him at Clemson. But with Urban Meyer's first year getting underway, Vegas doesn't seem to be all that convinced. BetOnline.ag sets their over-under for wins at 6.5, which is tied for somewhere around 4th or 5th worst in the NFL. 
They are the third least likely team by implied odds to win the Super Bowl, according to betonline.ag. So the expectations aren't necessarily high this year, but when you get a guy like Trevor Lawrence, setting that foundation in the first year is important. And that's Urban Meyer's primary job this year. Is he pulling the right strings? I don't know. It's a really good question. That I know it's hot. It's sunny down in Jacksonville. Maybe there's heat stroke going on. I don't know. Because I I wouldn't say. The way that I picture team building, Trevor Lawrence is not the foundation of a franchise. He's, he's the star on top of the Christmas tree. you got to give him the foundation to play and protect him in particular. I think, obviously, because of the way that he's evaluated, uh, there wasn't very much question about him being the biggest talent in this draft. So very simple choice, I think, for the Jaguars in that particular case. Since then, I think things have been a little bit questionable. And even surrounding that pick, some comments have been made about how uh, the owner was very high on Lawrence no matter what. Obviously, there's a relationship there. I think there are a lot of contributing factors that don't necessarily make the decision-making outside of the Lawrence pick something that I think is really the most beneficial for what needs to happen in Jacksonville. And I think you can even start with Travis Etienne, the Jags having two first round picks. When you have two first round picks and you're drafting number one overall, generally you're looking at it and saying, Hey, I can get two impact players here that are going to make my team a lot better. And I'm not saying ETN will not make the Jaguars better, but they found a diamond in the rough last year at running back. And then they go and spend one of their first round picks on a guy that was a great running back given at Clemson, but is now seen as a hybrid and is taking reps at wide receiver at rookie camp. And is that the tack to take with your second first round pick that is expected to make a big impact? I mean, I guess that's just putting a lot on his plate early in his NFL career to me. A lot on the plate, yes. But also I think, in some cases, this is a passing league. We all know that. There's a very big difference from lining up in the backfield, running your routes there versus the line of scrimmage or wherever you might be in the slot or wherever they're going to try to line him up. Not only is that a lot to deal with in terms of uh, the mental aspect, routes, you know, trying to read what the defense is, giving you sight adjustments from that position, everything's different. But the thing is, he's a solid pass catcher. For me, it's taking a fish out of water. The man's built to come out of the backfield. That's what he's good at. It was, I think, a poor selection in the first place because of Robinson's presence. You could have gotten a lot better um, overall production from that pick itself had you not gone and basically doubled up to the point where you have to have your running back start to try to become a wide receiver. That might work in college. That doesn't necessarily give you the optimal performance in the NFL. Now, I guess the upside is that Urban Meyer's right and everyone else is wrong, right? And and he's an NFL coach and there's a chance that he's pulling the right strings. I mean, the, the I guess now infamous quote was, the worst case scenario, you have a running back with the skill set of a wide receiver. Best case scenario, you have a hybrid player who does both. And that's what we're hoping to develop out of Travis. So if ETN does become a guy that, you know, they can put on the field with Robinson and they can flex him out, and get a little bit creative with with personnel. Maybe that gives him some flexibility if he is indeed a, a capable slot wide receiver or or can figure out how to deal with cornerbacks if he gets matched up with cornerbacks. Because imagine being a running back and, and now the opposing defense starts treating you as a wide receiver 
because you're getting flexed out wide so much. Now you have to deal with cornerbacks in coverage instead of a strong safety or a linebacker that's walking out over you or or you're dealing with in that particular zone coverage you're facing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with ETN, but from a head-scratching pick to a head-scratching treatment of that pick, you're starting with question marks with Urban Meyer's tenure as the draft gets underway in Jacksonville. That's that's not the end of it, unfortunately, either. Now, I'm all for – there is a certain aspect of the NFL that coaches hire coaches they know, coaches they trust. There is that that loyalty and that familiarity that kind of permeates through the entire thing. That's why we were talking about in the, the first segment how great it is to openly expand and get away from that and, and bring in other people. The signing of a 33-year-old player – to be a tight end who hasn't been a tight end to then try to recreate a career, I think is very, very interesting. I don't understand it. I don't know how it could possibly work out in the benefit of a rookie quarterback. I don't see it as a mentor role. I don't see any of these theories out there. Uh, even Rex Ryan says there's no way they're going to cut the Tim Tebow from that roster. I don't see how it benefits the roster other than the fact that it gives the head coach, somebody that he knows and trusts. I just don't get it. I mean, Tim Tebow tried to play tight end that one time. He got hit in the head with a pass. I, I mean, he's 33 years old now. He tried to play baseball for a while. I'm sure he's still in fine shape and he was a good athlete coming out. But mm-hmm. you don't get better as an athlete after you turn 30, you know, in 99% of cases. And uh, I, I just, they have five other tight ends on the roster. They drafted one in the fifth round. I guess they're looking at it and thinking, our tight end room is thin, and it does look thin. I, I'm looking at the depth chart right now. Chris Mannerts, Luke Farrell, Tyler Davis, James O'Shaughnessy, and Ben Ellison, college free agent from last year. They could use some help at tight end. I, I don't think Tim Tebow is that help. And if he actually takes up a 53-man roster spot, I, I'll actually really wonder what's going on down there right now. It seems like a distraction a little bit, and, and maybe it's not in the building. It's certainly getting a lot of attention. It might end up not mattering, right? It might just be something we forget about in five months, and he's there for a couple of weeks of camp, and then he gets cut. And sure, that could happen, but it does look a whole lot like Urban Meyer going and giving one of his old friends a job. Well, and let's hope for Jags fans' sake that the evaluation is legitimate and they reach the conclusion of whatever it should be naturally, which should be not on the 53 because that's a player, that spot, that 53 man spot is something that should be in position to try to draw some coverage, to try to help DJ shark. That's, that's my whole goal. You got to take chart. You got to be able to run the ball with Robinson and you got to help Trevor Lawrence as much as you can. If it's not doing that, then it needs to not be done as far as I'm concerned. I think, Pretty much everybody that follows the Jacksonville Jaguars would agree with that. And I'm sure that's the mentality in the building and they're trying to do it. They're just trying to do it their way. And sometimes you do weird things that get questioned by those covering you from afar. And some of these things certainly look weird. I will, on the topic of DJ Chark, he apparently had a baby today. And Urban Meyer did congratulate him for the birth of their daughter on Twitter. So congratulations to DJ Chark and Chantel, I believe, his partner on the birth of their daughter. That's great news in Jacksonville and Urban Meyer doing the right thing 
by congratulating his star wide receiver on Twitter for that one. Coming up next, let's talk power rankings, Ryan. May power rankings are always all over the place and a little ridiculous, but they can be fun to talk about too because it will highlight areas where we disagree from the consensus of these national power rankings that are out there. We'll get into that coming up next. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season in full swing, and you can track it all at betonline.ag. They've also got you covered for the Stanley Cup playoffs, the NBA playoffs, UFC and MMA, and football futures, football prop bets. They've got it all in one place. They've also got real-time updated odds. They've got you covered for news. You can also check out their unique contest they've got going on right now. All of that at betonline.ag. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams get ready for the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code LOCKEDON. That's promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, the occasional limited time flavor. So when you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're going to be passionate about one flavor or another. They've got coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. There's something for everyone. And they even have coconut brownie chunk from time to time. That's my personal favorite. You can get a mix box. Try a couple of each of their staple flavors, and they've got great nutritional value in every bar. They average 17 grams of protein or so, 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. Order today, get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like at BuiltBar.com. We've got a promo code LOCKED15. You'll save 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15. For 15% off BuiltBar.com. Ryan, it's our job as football analysts, football podcasters to prognosticate about the future, even if it's ridiculous and you do it when players are running around in shorts in May before we've even gotten to training camp because so much happens between now and week one. And we have no idea about the development of some young players and there will be unforeseen superstars and unforeseen regression in some veterans. It happens every year. But that being said, that doesn't stop us from talking about power rankings at this time of year. And we've got some new ones from ESPN and PFF we can talk about today. We can talk about them more broadly as a concept in May because at this point in the season, you see a lot of this. The first two teams on most power rankings right now are the Kansas city chiefs and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Can you imagine the two teams from last year's super bowl being the top two power ranking teams in may the following year? Crazy. You mean it's not rigged? Okay. Rigged for who? power rankings uh, rigged for whoever would read this. Um, because that's what it is there. It's okay to be like, the could be scenarios. That's what the draft is about. It's projecting, et cetera. But power rankings without seeing a single practice is always, I think, uh, a lot of fun. And that's why we'll uh, give you our sincere takeaways. I don't mind seeing the Chiefs and Bucks up top. That makes perfect sense. I think that's what the entire league thinks. The next one's interesting, though, to me. And these two uh, these two scenarios actually match in the Buffalo Bills being number three. Do you like that? 
Buffalo Bills being number three tells me that in the AFC, there may just be a big step from the favorite in the AFC to the contenders in the AFC. Because I I do think Buffalo is a very good football team, but I think that a lot would have to go right for, for me to think they were near the level of the Kansas City Chiefs, especially now that the Chiefs have really gone the distance and rebuilding that offensive line that turns over some tackles, that improves its guard play with the addition of Joe Tooney, making him the highest paid guard in the NFL. They went big. And it's not like the offensive line was generally terrible for the Chiefs last year. They just had injuries at a bad time, and they saw those injuries and said, we're not going to be in this situation again. And they returned Patrick Mahomes, and there are some question marks on defense. They may not be the most complete team in the league, but they're seen as the favorites because that offense and Patrick Mahomes is something to behold. So what do you think about Buffalo at three? I feel like your question came laced with skepticism. I, I like them to win to the division, yes. I, I look at a power ranking, and it's not about who's going to be, you know, it, it's not NFC, AFC, back and forth, back and forth. I, I don't know that on paper today that the Buffalo Bills beat the Green Bay Packers if Aaron Rodgers is under quarter under center. Now, we don't know if that's going to happen, but right now, as we said, it's May. We're going to have to project that things are going to be what they think we're going to be. So I, I just can't see that matchup. In this scenario, the Green Bay Packers are, are down here at, at the five level, like behind them. And I think head-to-head, that's not really that close of a matchup. I think it's pretty close. The Packers and the Bills, you don't think that's a close game right now? No, I, I think one is competing with a quarterback. The other one is the rest of everybody trying to keep up with him. If, if Rodgers is there and pissed off and still in town, I I don't think that's a close game right now. But like the, the Packers aren't going to be a 16 and 0 team and neither 17 and 0. Oh my God, there's 17 games. I, right. Right. <laughs> uh, and the bills aren't either, but I, I don't think they're like that far off. I, I mean, I, I do think that like in the quarterback competition, I would give Aaron Rodgers the edge, but the bills are a well put together team at this point. They made some nice moves in the off season. They return a lot of their core and it's another year for, for Josh Allen to develop. Now, are you thinking, and I guess we're going to talk about the Bills for a long time here. Are you thinking that <laughs> it's Josh Allen regression that, that kind of tilts this toward Green Bay significantly in your head? Or is it just you think that the, the team composition in Green Bay is that much stronger? I, I think it's a bit of both. I think Josh is due to pull back a little bit. I won't say that it will be drastic. I, I don't think so. I think he made uh, a mental turning of the corner last year that I think he'll be able to sustain for the most part. Is it going to be as seller? Probably not. But I don't think you're going to see a 30% fall off or anything like that. I'm banking more on the fact that right now, if they're dug in, I don't think they they let Aaron Rodgers force his way out of town. And if he wants to play and he is a competitor, I think he does, that he's going to show up. He's going to be angry, and I think he's one of those players, to quote an old, old movie, that plays better when he's pissed off, and that's what I'm banking on. I'm I'm seeing the upside of Rodgers rather than, than the regression of, of Josh. So, so let's talk about the Packers stacking up with the Buccaneers then. I mean, the Buccaneers, according to PFF, 16% chance to win the Super Bowl. The Packers, 13.8%. And the Packers at 13.8%. The odds that they're giving him are much higher odds of winning the Super Bowl, which, again, I feel like this is ridiculous to talk about in May. Um, 
higher odds than the Bills, who are at 7.5%, and the Ravens, who are the next one on their list at 4.2%. That, to me, speaks to Green Bay being one of those legitimate championship contenders. And again, that balance of power, at least at the top, seeming to lead toward the NFC a little bit. Yeah, I could see that as well. And the interesting thing to me, when we look at this ESPN one, right between these two teams is the uh, now juggernaut of Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. Do you feel that what the Rams have done this offseason have have lost them into the top five? Um, That's tough. I mean, Matt Stafford could make them much, much better. Mm-hmm. So there is that. They still have Aaron Donald on the defense. I'm not sure that any of their draft picks move the needle for me a ton in year one. Just looking at the list of guys they picked. So the improvement really, I guess that they're locking up in Stafford. And if Stafford can stay healthy and can hit the ground running with McVay, I mean, I still think McVay very bright and is going to figure out how to get points out of his offense. And it'll be probably pretty quickly revealed. I mean, they start the year with the Bears and the Colts. Probably be pretty quickly revealed as to how quickly or how well this fit has come together in L.A. I would think so, too. And and both of these exercises have the Ravens and the Browns in amongst the same area. Um, I think there's a little discounting going on of what's been added to Lamar's uh, target arsenal and the fact that um, they're rotating tackles out there. Do you feel like the Ravens are still going to be a top six team at this point? I think it gets really murky here. And anytime I think about power rankings, I think about these are teams that I think can actually compete for Super Bowl. And the rest of these like 26 teams are in the middle. And then there's like five teams that are just like pretty bad. You know, something like that. You know, it shakes out to be big middle of the pack, very few true contenders, and a few teams that are truly bad. And when you talk about the Browns and the Ravens, these are a couple teams that I don't necessarily see them in the stratosphere of some of these other teams that we've talked about so far. But they are teams that if things go right, you can see them contending. So take the Browns, for example. If Baker takes a step and is actually going to be the guy, a true top quarterback, For the Browns, there's a lot of really good stuff going on on that roster. And the Mm -hmm. coaching staff took a huge step last year. They seem to be cohesive as an organization at this point. But to me, a lot of questions there for Baker. For Baltimore, you're right. I mean, adding Rashad Bateman could be massive. I mean, Lamar's never had a guy like that to throw to in the NFL. That, That polish, that possession skill that he adds to the team. I do wonder a little bit about the offensive line at this point. Kevin Zeitler comes in to try to shore up the interior defensive line interior offensive line. I do wonder a little bit about the pass rush, which they'll probably need to manufacture with creative blitzing again. But I mean, another really good coaching staff and Lamar, uh, an incredible X factor dynamic player. I think that division is going to be a lot of fun. And I think that having both of them there makes sense because I think they're going to beat each other up that that goes as well. There's also a pair of NFC West teams in the Seahawks and the Niners that both of these organizations seem to feel are top 10. And and that makes sense to me too. Again, it's a little bit of a projection. I'm very big on what the Niners did with their quarterback situation. So I'm very intrigued by that. But I want to ask you about the one they don't agree on. This is the biggest disparity of what we're doing today. The the playoff contending team, supposedly the top 14. 
and that is the New Orleans Saints. One has them as a playoff team, and one has them, I can't even remember, like down below, like bottom half of the league, 18th for ESPN. This, I think, is the debate worth having because one seems to be putting a lot of faith in what they've done in New Orleans without Drew Brees. I think that's mostly a discount of what Brees was able to do as his career wound down. And the other seems to be living in reality. I'm not sure which is which. How do you feel about the New Orleans Saints as a playoff team? I mean, I still think that defense is probably pretty good. I think I'm generally still a fan of the Saints defense. Do you believe in Jameis Winston? That's the question, right? I mean, oh. former first overall pick. Can can Sean Payton reel him in? Or is, is he even going to win the job? I mean, Taysom Hill, elite quarterback, according to Sean Payton. So, you know, that's going to be what's weird. I don't know what to make of the Saints. I mean, there's still a lot of talent on this team. The offensive line looks fantastic from Taron Armstead to Ryan Ramzik, bookending Andrews Pete, Cesar Ruiz, and Eric McCoy. I think there's a lot of talent there. Defensive line looks pretty good to me, too. Obviously, when you're anchored by Cam Jordan, good things are going on. And you got Mike Thomas, Alvin Kamara, some great weapons there to deal with, right? But uh, Jameis, uh, all I could do is shrug. I really don't know what to make of that. Just like everything else, it comes back to the quarterback. Um, I agree with you. Like I, I want to see a competition get won before I even start to think about whether they're going to make a playoff run. And that yeah. brings me to the last team that we want to cover here today. I know we're getting long, but I want your opinion on this one because it's been blockbuster again at the quarterback position for the Indianapolis Colts. They've done some interesting things in this offseason. Both of these organizations feel that they are going to get into the playoff run. Obviously, it's a 14-team field this year. Um, I'm right on the borderline. I can't decide if I think it's going to make the leap and get them there or not. How do you feel about the Indianapolis Colts? I like some things and I have real questions elsewhere. I mean, it's not a good division. They get to feast a little bit on Jacksonville and and Houston. Mm -hmm. So they've got that going for them. Tennessee is still a pretty good team in that division, still well coached. And I think that you can say that the Colts are well coached as well, especially on the defense. They had Quiddy pay to go with DeForest Buckner on the defensive line. I like that. Darius Leonard, they hope to get a healthy year there. I like that. Xavier Rhodes has a bounce back season for them in the secondary. Looks to reprise that as he returns. The defense generally very disciplined, very well coached. They got the breakout from Julian Blackman last year. There's a lot to like there, but again, I mean, it's the quarterback, right? You go from Phillip Rivers, given in on the last legs of his career, to Carson Wentz, who, while he's got a lot of career left, how much of that career is going to be as a starter is the question for him at this point. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, very good running back. Michael Pittman Jr. can take a second-year leap. T.Y. Hilton, mm-hmm. we'll see what he has left in the tank uh, is where yeah. I'm at there. And a big question mark at one of their tackle positions, still needing to replace the retired Anthony Costanzo. And and that's a big deal, especially when the quarterback is Carson Wentz. They signed Eric Fisher and you know, if he plays great, but when's he going to be ready? I I really don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. Fish is a solid player. He's been a good tight. uh, Tight isn't the right word. He is. He's good athletically. He's not that tight, but he's been a good tackle for the chiefs for this long, but he blew his Achilles in the AFC championship game. Expecting him to protect Wentz from week one is, is a stretch. 
I hear he's ahead of schedule. Good for him. I don't think that's the biggest concern. I think you hit it earlier with the Tennessee Titans. Can you stop that rush attack with what appears to be two starting ends that are rookies in pay and Oda Yingbo, which, who I like very much, but I, that's a lot to put on them. Obviously, with Leonard's injury, I think keeping up is going to be difficult. Hey, man, DeForest Buckner is a monster. And uh, you can't really rely on on one guy to, to deal with Derrick Henry, though. I, I don't. It's, the thing is, it's a 17-game season, right? It's not just those head-to-head matchups that matter. I don't buy the Chiefs as a true contender unless Carson Wentz has a massive bounce-back kind of year here. But I, I guess this is just the, the issue in May where there's so much unknown that you just end up with a big clump of teams in the middle and you have to sort them out and put an order on them. And maybe that's something that we will try here on the Locked On NFL podcast in the next couple of weeks as we try to make our way through this offseason. Most teams getting into phase three of OTAs next week, so that'll be exciting. We'll get some footage. We'll get some media coverage as teams get into the last phases of the offseason program. And we've got one more day of Locked On NFL for you this week as well. Chris and Q coming your way tomorrow with all of the latest and greatest from the NFL. Make sure you tune in to check out Chris and Q tomorrow. Until next Thursday, for Ryan Tracy, I'm Jake Lisko. Thanks for listening and have a good one.